3: We're on a collision course with the national championship, and the
4: only variable is time.
2: Because the train is rolling, so anybody out there, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now, but it's coming. Get on board, but get out the way.
3: Every single play, and you got to find a way to get it done. Play after play after play after play. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network.
2: Now. Here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, and Vince Lacoco.
1: From the Pink Seeds Podcast, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, Vince Lococo, and our good friend Press Meyer is back. How about that? Let's give it a round of applause. Coming off of a winning Woo. week for basketball, he comes back to talk football Uh, And that's what we're here to do tonight. I know that there is a lot happening right now uh, in terms of the signing class and National Signing Day and all that fun stuff with Louisville football. We're going to get into that as soon as we wrap up the 2022 season in review, which is what we are here to do tonight. We are once again joined by a former player, a player who put uh, stats up on the, the scoreboard and did his thing this year, impacted Louisville football, winning those eight games. And that is Tyler Hudson, wide receiver extraordinaire, just the second 1,000-yard receiver for Louisville football in the last, uh, uh, what? I, I'm not good years. at math. 15 years. How 15 about years, that, yeah. man? But a uh, lot to get into with the offense. Uh, we talked about defense last week. Uh, and the offense is uh, an, an definitely an interesting part of the season. We've talked a lot about it already in this series. Uh, but Tyler is going to give us some really interesting perspective of uh, not only his recruitment and how he ended up at Louisville. Thank, Thankfully, he did. Louisville needed him more than we could have ever known. Uh, but how the season went with Malik? How it went adjusting to Brock and all those fun things, guys. I welcome you all into the show now. How are we doing this evening? It's great to see your faces. You can't see mine. I'm making a weird, funny face. But yeah,
2: because Jacob, we uh, you're the one that has the worst internet here. So you know, that's
1: right. That's right. You can blame AT <laughs> and T, County for that. If there are any internet sponsors who would like to sponsor the show and give me free internet, uh, I will gladly sign up for that. Uh, but it's just great to be here and, and continue to talk about. Uh, last season and then of course tying it into 2023 and uh, the offense as I mentioned it, it was a little bit of a struggle struggle for Louisville but when you look at uh, the 69 catches and no 1034 sense. yards there we go I can always expect you guys to 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 slam down the alley that I throw up but uh, <laughs> Tyler had an, an a beyond impressive season to the point of he was Louisville's only receiver I mean you know Marshawn Ford obviously had a, a nice season but there really was nobody else that put up the type of numbers that had the Hudson did. Um, and the two touchdowns is it, it's unfortunate because it's not a reflection of his ability overall as a receiver more. So, um, as Tyler's going to get into some of the scheme flaws that Louisville faced last season and some of the uphill battles that we described to you, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago with Keith Tobridge of the offense inside the red zone of what the issues were. Tyler's going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but, of course, he's going to talk about the NFL draft and his preparation. And, guys, I, I think that it is a shame what's happening right now. Look, I give all the credit to the world, to Catrell Clark, Yaya Diaby, Yasir Abdullah, two of which uh, those guys are balling out right over my right shoulder right now on my television, and the uh, NFLPA Shrine Bowl or the NFLPA Bowl, whatever the name. Of the, I've lost track of all the names. But Tyler Hudson, not invited to a single one of those games that I I've seen in my research, not invited to the Combine doesn't have a senior day or senior bowl invite. Um, I think he's going to absolutely star at the, at the Louisville pro day, but it's a shame at how under the radar this kid is when he was the reason. Uh, If you want to point to a single player, he is a big factor in Louisville winning eight games.
3: No doubt. It blows my mind that he just didn't get a single invite to any of those bowl games. And I mean, as Tyler talks about, people just want to see him run the 40 and for, for whatever reason, I mean, Tyler could have went out there on to any of those, the East-West game or the, the Reese's game, and, you know, he could have been the best receiver out there on the field, and people still would have been saying that, unfortunately, and, you know, I'm excited for this dude to finally get his opportunity whenever the, the pro day comes around at Louisville, because, I mean, it, it, there will be a lot of scouts there. And every year that I was around a pro day, except for uh, 2018, unfortunately, uh, every NFL team was represented <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, think about it. Malik Cunningham, assuming he goes to the senior bowl and has a big week. Uh, he's obviously been kind of talked about getting the call up in the draft prep this week in these bowl games. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him because of what he brings to the table. And that's going to bring a lot of eyes to Tyler Hudson at, at the Louisville Pro Day. Uh, so it's exciting to see what's going to happen there. But we're going to talk a lot about the 2022 season with Tyler Hudson. He is he is a great great person. It was a blast getting to interview him. Uh, glad we were able to get him on the show. We appreciate you all for tuning in so far to the off season content that we've had. This is going to wrap up the season and review series. We'll we'll have some more episodes where we probably dive into 2022 a little bit, but this will kind of put a stamp on um, just describing really what we saw on the field for Louisville in totality in 2022. Uh, but a, a great way to end it here. Subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcast from, from the pink seats podcast, follow us on Twitter at pink seats, pod at the state of Lou at U of L report at Matt underscore McGavick at Vincent, Lacoco at Jacob lane, zero eight at press Meyer. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and jump right into it. Now, Tyler Hudson joins from the pink seats podcast for the first time. Let's jump into it right now. Louisville's second 1,000 yard receiver since 2007 joins the podcast, Tyler Hudson. Tyler, how are you, man? Coming live from Fort Worth, Dallas, how, or Fort Worth, Texas, Fort Worth, Dallas. Lord have mercy. <laughs> it's called Dallas Fort Worth, Jacob. <laughs> hey, I know. I just took it back. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Well, good. We're excited to have you on. I assume that uh, you're getting ready for everything that is leading up to NFL draft and and all that fun stuff. What's your experience been like the last couple of weeks, last couple of months as you've been training?
4: It's been good. Uh, A lot of learning how to run and learning the, you know, the tricks to getting slower or faster times. I mean, lower, lower times, (laughs) stuff like that. So.
1: Yeah. What I don't, I mean, I, I'm sure you can't divulge what the 40 times looking like, but are you feeling good with that 40? I'm sure you've had to run it a million times by now, but is that looking good
4: on your end? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling good about it right now. Yeah.
3: Tyler. So the thing I was more, uh, I was really interested in was, uh, your recruitment coming out of high school via, and, uh, compared to your recruitment coming out of uh central Arkansas. So why don't you just speak on that a little bit and, uh, just how different stuff was because I mean that's kind of how the the lay of the land's going with college athletics. People would rather pull guys like yourself from the transfer portal, experienced guys, you know, just because you got the numbers and you know what to do. So why don't you uh, speak on that a little bit?
4: Okay, I. Didn't have as many offers as I could have, you know, going out of high school and stuff like that. Cause the 40 was a big deal for me. I would run like four, eight, four, nine, which I never practiced at 40. So it was kind of just like, yeah, whatever. 40 was a big thing. Um, But when we go on the field, you know, I'd ball out just like you're supposed to. And it kind of sucked just watching everybody, you know, get offers and stuff like that, just off of the, the combine stuff, but not really because they're, better than me at football, but, you know, it is what it is. And I ended up going to Central Arkansas because, one, it was a really good visit, and, two, it was probably the best offer I had at the time because I had a Rice offer, but I'm not going to lie. I don't think I would have went to Rice. Anymore. But
3: uh blame there. you for that one. I think yeah. Rice is only known for baseball, to be honest with you. I
4: didn't even know they were known for that. Like, <laughs> 30 minutes from there from the school. I, yeah, I know. So – But, yeah, I ended up going to, you know, Central Arkansas and had a good time there. And then when I decided to go into the portal, I actually I didn't even want to get into the portal. I didn't even want to leave. That was that was a crazy part. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to get in. But I talked to the NFL and I was asking them, like, about what I need to work on. Like, am I eligible or not eligible? Am I like good enough to get into the draft? Like, what is my draft stock? And the best grade I got was. I think the fourth round, if I tested well, you know, because like you know, my film was really good, but they wanted me to test well and stuff like that. So for me to do that to go to the fourth round, I also wasn't healthy at the time. And then I had talked to some other scouts and they were saying like sixth round, seventh round, and then some scouts that I had a range. And I remember one scout vividly said no you're undrafted and i was like dang that's kind of messed up would you have
3: rather heard that though opposed to i mean
4: yeah Yeah. but uh but the thing that made me mad when he said that was because i came in there to ask so the whole situation was i had asked my coach to have a scout come and tell me like what they think and and mind you, I still wasn't thinking about the portal. And then I came, but I told my coach about the other scout that talked about the portal. And so then I talked to this uh, scout, I'm not going to say what team, but he was talking to me about the portal the first like 10, 15 minutes of the conversation. And he's like trying to show me, you know, who was like, who's gotten to the portal and was successful and who got to the portal and wasn't successful. And I was like, well, first off, none of these people have anything to do with me. And two, I didn't ask for your advice about the portal. I asked you about my draft stock and my ability to play in the NFL from right now. And then, so he talked about all that portal stuff. And then I was like, okay, uh, what about my chances like getting drafted or anything like that? And he goes, oh, I drafted. No, no, no. And I was like, well, if that was their answer, why did you come all the way down to Arkansas for that? <laughs> right, right. right. You seems, just like said an, that. seems like an email that you could yeah, send. Yeah, you could send him a tech. You can send my coach a text or something. But the crazy thing was after that, he said that and I was really upset because we wasted time. And then he asked me what my stats were, and I told him like 1,200, what, 1260, 1240 yards, uh, seven touchdowns and 60-something catches, like 65, and he goes average 20 yards of catch. I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. God, you didn't know that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that. He's like, Oh, I got to put you on the, I was like, you came in here and didn't know my stats. Oh, and that's so That had me hot. Yeah. So then after that conversation, I started talking about mom and dad. Mom and dad were like, yeah, I forget about the NFL scouts. Like, they don't even know what you're talking about. And so then, um, I, you know, decided to get into the portal, like I said, reluctantly, like I really didn't want to go, but I got in and I was in there for about a week and I thought I was going to go to UK. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But, That's
3: good to know. That's good to hear. We're happy you came to this side, <laughs> Yeah.
4: But uh, the offensive coordinator, he didn't, like he talked to me a little bit, but it was like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, why are you texting me, calling me? Like, you had all day to say something to me. And then turn, come to find out, he ended up leaving, like, after that anyway. Like, he ended up not even being there. Yeah.
2: Oh, all. this was Liam Cohen?
4: Yeah. hmm Yeah.
2: Interesting. He, he,
3: he probably told you, was like, T-Huddy, I'm going to the Rams anyways. You don't want <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, he was next so to you because he was already in, in uh, L.A. On, on on West Coast times. So
4: yeah, he probably, right. Yeah, probably
2: <laughs> was. Right. Probably so was. obviously, obviously, you say you reluctantly enter the portal, but you, given your status as an FCS All American, I bet the recruiting process had to be light years different than what it was coming out of high oh, school. Oh yeah. Just walk me through like what that was, because you go from one recruiting process where you say like. Oh, your your best offer is you know just FCS schools to where you're in the portal for a week, and I can only assume how many Power Five schools came calling to you. Like how how was it overwhelming at times?
4: Yes, <laughs> very <laughs> overwhelming. Uh, we, me and my fiance, we were sitting there just listening, to call after call, text after text, and I'm calling my mom and dad, telling them what's going on, and I'm talking to my coaches and stuff like that. Like it was a constant. Ring of the phone every like so minutes, just school after school after school, all the uh, G5 schools, which I was not going to go to any G5 school because FCS and G5 is like really no difference unless you're unless I'm going to like a Cincinnati or like or a UCF. UCF. Yeah, yeah. Like, or like a U of H, like that would have been the only like couple schools I would went if they were G5 just because they're like known for being really good. But other than that, I wasn't really trying – I wasn't really interested in playing any G5. And then I had talked to Oregon. Like, I was trying to get in touch with Oregon for a little bit. Uh, Oklahoma for a little bit. TCU. Uh,
3: Somewhere you can go and put up some numbers for sure. Yeah. Uh,
4: Baylor's. Uh, Tennessee. Uh,
2: so, a lot.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was a good amount. And I know <laughs> if I'd have been there at the beginning of, like, December, when the season was just over, I probably would have had any offer I could have imagined, but I only, I didn't want, like I said, I didn't want to get in the portal in the first place. So I, I didn't even like think about it until like right. right before school started again.
2: So you mentioned a little bit before we started recording that uh, Gunther Brewer, the former Louisville wide receiver, like that played a large role about your recruitment to Louisville, but obviously he ends up going to Maryland, but, with the staff of outside of Brewer, like what was it? What was the opportunity that they pitched to you? And what was it about Louisville that, that made you want to say, Yeah, I'm going to go here? Out of all the offers, out of the TCUs, the Oregons, the Tennessees, all of those schools, what was it about Louisville?
4: So I had a coach that, uh, that used to like we used to work together, like at, at UCA. And he had left, and then he ended up going somewhere else. So uh, he knows – he was talking to somebody for me uh, at Louisville. I guess I they knew each other somehow. I don't know. But uh, I was talking to them through him. And then when I got in the portal, I started talking to Coach Brewer. But I knew, I knew in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I'm waiting on Louisville, like, to say something. Because the whole time before I get in the portal, he's telling me, like – they really want you, blah blah. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. When I get in the portal, they didn't say anything. I've been in there for five days, six days. I'm like, where are they at? And they yeah, play cool, they're trying to they finally hit me up right after, I think like the next morning after I talked to UK. And he Gunther was telling me, like, you know, they like me, like my film. there. she's showing me for about two hours of like film. Of what they can use me like and stuff like that, and then how like their offense translates to the NFL. He brought up Cooper Cup, and then we also started talking about like food because he loves food and he's just so funny and country but <laughs> <he's> funny with <laughs> like chicken and stuff like that. Right. And then so it was it was Brewer and it was Coach VJ uh, Stingley, Coach Stingley. If y'all know who that is,
3: yeah, but I yeah.
4: know VJ. Yeah, so it was them two I was talking to for the two nights that I was talking to him, and he was just telling me like we need we need receivers and. Also, on top of talking to them, too, my mom also made me like this like list of 15 questions to ask, and it was like, "Who's a quarterback? Is the O line coming back? Like, who's on the O line?" Uh, smart question. Culture, you like, had things fired
3: back to them.
4: Yeah, like uh, well, and I also like looked up their stats, like the receiving stats, and I seen that Jordan Watkins left, and he was it was him and Marshawn for the top spot. And I'm kind of sitting there like, okay, there's a freshman that plays slot, so I don't have no, like, competition with him. And then Jordan left, and then Marshawn plays tight end, and I'm like, okay, there's no outside receiver. Like, like I, I love Tyler, like, but Tyler only had, like, 400 yards. He only had the – he only caught, like, 20 passes. So it's kind of like, okay, well, yep. he's not the number one. So, I mean, I can go in there and compete for it at least. If anything, playing at power five, you rotate. So I wasn't really tripping about that. So that's how that – those are all the key factors of me going to Louisville. And
2: real quick before your next question, Vince, um, and then what was your reaction after you, you commit in January, but then I think it was late March, early April that Harold enters the portal? Like, what's going through your mind there? Obviously, you're like, okay, my teammate's going, but at the same time you're thinking – you're probably thinking, okay, this probably opens up another opportunity for me to, you know, increase my workload.
4: No, it's actually kind of sick that he left, to be honest, because uh, well, that enough. was <laughs> that's why I don't was, play football. Yeah, yeah, he is one of the uh, people that like welcomed me with open arms when I first got there. You know, you first get somewhere, you don't know a single soul out there other than the two people who helped you get there. It was kind of like, dang, well, I guess technically you could say my best friend at the time at that school left already. And you only been with him for about three four months. And we had built like such a good bond mm. and like, we built the chemistry and we were like, we were hungry, we were grinding and stuff like that. And it was just fun to like be around him all the time. And he left, but it's crazy. Cause I went, so I went to central Arkansas for, uh, one of my team, my late teammates. he had like, we had like a little service for him at the school. And I had got, after the service, I went back to the apartment I used to live in with my fiance and he called me and was like, yeah. Um, I'm getting in the portal I was like what I just seen you yesterday like how are you already getting the portal what happened and he was telling me like all the situation that he was going through and stuff like that so I mean I told him congratulations because I already thought he was in the portal like I already thought he was going to Alabama but then I found out like later that weekend he wasn't even in it yet so I was like trying to tell him like I mean yeah it's cool to go to Bama but I mean you've seen what we had built in the spring like can you stay (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: my question for you, Tyler, man, I, I want to hear about the connection between you and Malik and uh, how you guys developed that over the course of the spring and over the course of the summer and how you continued to, to develop that uh, over the course of the season. So what what were some of the things that you guys did and how, how did you become his number one option uh, come Saturdays?
4: So I came into Louisville with the mindset that, Okay, he doesn't have a number one receiver, so I need to show him why he can trust me to be his number one receiver, his go-to, his bailout. And I remember every time he threw me the ball, I, no matter how I landed or who was about to hit me, I tried to catch it every single time, right? regardless of the cir- circumstance, because he needs, I need to build his trust up with me in order for me to get the ball a lot, or at least have the opportunity to get the ball a lot. So. I would mean, always ask him to hang – like, not hang out, but, like, throw after. Yeah, yeah. And, but I remember in the spring, at first, he – like, he was always hurting of some sort. So, it kind of, like, just backed off of it because, you know, I'm fresh. I'm new. I'm trying to get stuff going. He's been there for six years. So, I was like – I was just letting him have his space. And then, towards the end of spring, he started throwing me a little bit more because, you know, he was seeing me make plays in practice. And then, when we got to the summer in June and July, we were throwing at 7 a.m., I think, every Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, something like that, right before we go lift and have our, like, conditioning and stuff like that. So it built pretty fast, I would say. I mean, that was, like, probably three four months of just consistently throwing with him every day or, like, and, every other week or something like and, that. And
3: what was the main route that, you know, if I put you and Malik on the field together and we're in a bind and I got to go to you for one route, one play, what's that route and play going to be for you? The slant route. The slant route. It's gonna be a slant route. Uh,
4: it, it could be a slant route. It could be a
1: slant route. See,
4: <laughs> it's, not. it's the it's a ten yard stop. We ran that yep. every third down. Everybody everybody understands me. Ten yard <laughs> stop. So, and how
1: many do you have the analytics on how many of those you converted on because. I'm pretty sure you caught everything that was thrown your way throughout the year. I mean, what was it? Only, only one or two drops, and they were very late, late in the season or something yeah, they like were, that? Yeah,
4: they were real late. They really jinxed me because I had no idea that people even keep up that stat. And so <laughs> after I seen it that next week when we played JMU, I ended up dropping one.
3: So you can like, blame that. You can blame that 100% yeah, for that. Yeah, that's
4: a mad stat right yeah, there for yeah. sure. He
1: probably tweeted
2: that Sorry, out. Sorry,
1: Tyler.
4: Yeah, it's all good. But yeah, uh, I, it's only two drops. And so I'll probably say converted. We converted on that. Probably I'd probably say 90%, no more, no less than 80, to be honest. That's good numbers to me.
1: That's passing, passing grade all the way. Uh, So early on in the season, well, first of all, let me back up. I don't know, you know, obviously with you being at central Arkansas the year prior and, Uh, You know, really the last couple of years and not knowing Satterfield and kind of what was going on at Louisville with Louisville being so close in so many games and falling short by just a couple of points because of a turnover, whatever the case is, you come in to Louisville and provide that, you know, the number one go to weapon. Uh, But early on in the season, the offense is kind of sputtering. You're not really comfortable. It seems like you obviously were comfortable getting 100 yards in the first game of the year, uh, but it comes in that loss to Syracuse. Uh, But what was it like for you all in those first couple of games? You know, we talked on our show, and and Presley was kind of the one that really kind of led this conversation, was Malik didn't look like himself, right? We had seen for the last five years Malik was a guy that could take off and run when he needed to, but really tried to stay in the pocket and try to – uh, get that offensive game going around the passing game specifically against Syracuse, but overall at the beginning of the season, what was that like for you all, just trying to gel and find your rhythm?
4: I was it was pretty frustrating because I remember going into the season, they were all telling me like everybody who has been there still from like the year before, they were like Syracuse isn't good and stuff like that. Like we we smoked them, and I was like, okay, well then we go out there, we should like beat them again. But I um, don't, I mean. Whew. You saw the, you saw that game like we tried to keep Malik in the pocket and I mean I'm not saying he can't do that but it just, I guess it just wasn't like it just wasn't what worked the last two three years before that so I guess that just wasn't very comfortable and then so I remember after that game Malik told me he said I've never done I've never like not scored before is what he was telling me he said I'll never let that happen again so then we go play UCF and he I think he ran what, he ran two touchdowns in
1: something like that
4: yeah so, so yeah. And he came up to me and said, I told you, I, I, I've never, I'll never let that happen again. And I was like, okay, okay. And so then we go, with, but mind you, we're still sitting there. Like, as a receiver group, we're like, dang, okay, that's two games. And we don't even have a chance of getting a, like, receiving touchdown. And the tight ends were like that, too. And then we get to game three, four, and five, and it just, it just started snowballing. Like, it just got worse and worse. And we were kind of sitting there like we were talking all of that, like, you know, that rah-rah before the season. And we're playing like, like, I'm not saying we we're playing like trash, but our record wasn't showing like how the work we put in. So it was kind of frustrating and kind of disappointing. And then, you know, 0-3 in conference is kind of like, dang, the season's already over considering you're talking about trying to get to the conference championship. Would, so, you, say, would you say it was
0: more of a mindset change for you? Or do you think it's kind of a combination of that and and play calling? Because it felt to me, you know, Malik is still trying to get trying to get used to having you as the primary receiver. Uh, Previously, it had been been Tyler Harrell, uh, Mm -hmm. Jordan Watkins. uh, And then before that, we had Tutu Atwell. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, he had a consistent number one guy. And so it was all of a sudden, you know, you come in and he kind of has to kind of work you in and I guess it's different transitioning from the off season to the actual season. So yeah. would you say there was more of, of a scheme thing or more of a mentality that changed for you guys, I guess, probably, you know, the fourth or fifth game into the season where, you know, you start spreading it, spreading it around. And it feels like the, the connection's much better.
4: It was definitely both. Cause I remember after we lost to Boston college, it was like a, one of those, like, there's no way we just lost this team. So then remember we came into the meeting room it was just players, like, that following week. And uh, Momo and Yaya, I like, set up the, meet, the team meeting, and we all just sat in there for about, a, I'd probably say 30 minutes. Uh, might have been longer than that, but we were sitting there and everybody was saying, like, how they felt and, like, what we've done and what we should have did and how we were talking about we were, what we were going to do and we're not there, we're not even close, and they're still – but there were still seven games left, I think, at that time. So, I remember we had that meeting, and we were just just pouring our hearts out and being as honest as we possibly could. And, oh, my alarm. (laughs) (laughs) Is that –
1: okay, so last week, Yaya, he talked a lot about how much he has to eat. Is that an eating alarm by chance?
4: No, that was actually (laughs) – you know, it's crazy. I forgot that y'all are on Eastern Time. (laughs) <laughs> so that a, yeah, That was a long for me to get ready for the for the interview. Yeah.
1: Well, that's look, this is great. This is great draft prep here. He showed up significantly early to the podcast interview. That's a great sign for any NFL teams listening right now about what Tyler brings. He's <laughs> GMs there, take notes. Yeah, he's going to be there 35 minutes early, okay? I mean, that's the type of of gym rat you want right there from an, an nfl wide receiver. <laughs> Uh, for you you know talking about the the around the bc virginia game obviously malik get hurt gets hurt with the concussion and goes out against virginia and brock comes in and and that game is really when the the passing game from an intermediate standpoint Mm -hmm. um, really it it was eye opening look i I remember specifically saying and predicting in that game it was going to be like a houston texans offense uh, no offense to them but where they where the offense didn't you know, it just looked out of sync, you know, the passes yeah. are four, five, six yards. It just didn't look like that. Brock comes out just slinging the ball like it's Brocktober. Uh, and, <laughs> and obviously he's throwing the ball your way all the time. What was that like for you adjusting from Malik to Brock uh, and then moving forward with injury and just going back and forth, what was it like for you having two quarterbacks?
4: Yeah. So that was the other part of the first uh, The question before that was the scheme part of the changing, because when Brock got in, it was more of a pocket passing, going through all progressions. If there's even if there's pressure, he's gonna sit there and try to make like you know make a play. And I'm not saying he couldn't run or anything, but like that was just the type of person he was. That's how you know that's how he plays. So playing receiver, I remember that week after the BC game, our coach uh, came in there to our, to the receiving room, and he was saying that uh, there's no depth chart y'all the moment was too big for y'all last week so there's no depth chart he was like basically blaming the game on us is what it seemed like as a receiver so it was kind of like okay now you're saying it's our fault well I'm about to show you it wasn't our fault so we go out there that week and I told Brock I said I got you like you throw it I got you and you know and had ended up going for hundred yards and Brock was throwing it to me. And then he was also throwing it a lot to Marshawn. And, you know, that was kind of just like the eye opener, like, yeah, we got it. Like, that's what it looked like in the spring. And then, and then fall camp, like that's a, like, that game was a glimpse of what happened on in the off season. Like that happened every day in the off season. I remember one time we had like 10 touchdowns one day in practice, like, cause that's, that's what we thought was going to happen. And that was with Malik too, but you know, it was just Brock that game. And, you know, it was kind of like a, a boost, and you know we just took on from there, and we just went into Clemson, thinking that you know we're six and three, or what were we six and three? We're six and four, yeah, five six, four.
0: Yes, yes, three. Uh, yeah, both both eligible yeah. after James Madison. So yeah,
4: yeah it was six yeah. and three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was a great game. Like team win, coach. You know, they were talking about firing Coach Satterfield after the game and all that stuff on Twitter. So yeah, no, that was a great game.
2: Speaking of that, what was it like hearing all that? Because leading up to the Virginia game, well, actually pretty much immediately after the Boston College game, the, the the chatter just escalates into the stratosphere. And then a day or two before the Virginia game, there's the reports that come out that like, hey, if Satterfield doesn't win this game, he could get canned as soon as the next day. What What was it like hearing that, like knowing that you don't have your starting quarterback, you're going on the road, Against a team that, yeah, isn't that great. But if you lose this game, your head coach may or may not be gone. Like, what was that like?
4: Uh, I found out on the way to the airport <laughs> the day before the game. So yeah, that was kind of like eye opening. Like this is real cutthroat. It's more of a business than anything. Because at UCA, you would not have hear you wouldn't hear anything like that. So them them saying they might fire him after the game if we lose kind of like dang there's no way we're gonna let our head coach get fired mid-season and I know he had a, like a lot of pressure on him because his starting quarterback wasn't in the game so he you know not saying that Brock couldn't you know perform what he did but I'm just saying like as a head coach you would like to have your starting quarterback and if you're on the A no, yeah a- nobody takes yeah, a, no
3: doubt
0: he's replacing <laughs> Malik he's replacing a guy that's. Number one or two in almost every single stat that you can you can have quarterback wise in Louisville history. So, yeah. you know, I, I I would say so. I, I think there was a turning point, a distinct turning point, a specific play in the season that kind of flipped the season on its head. I feel like I was kind of alone in this in this thought early in the season. I feel like the fan base really had a lot of criticisms of the defense. Mm-hmm. The reality was, I really felt like it was the offense that needed to kind of kind of ham and egg it a little bit better, so to speak, with the defense. You know, I thought the defense played well, you know, in first halves and into the third quarter of games. And then it was just the offense couldn't get things going. And then kind of the floodgates open towards the end of a few games. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the Virginia game starts out, you know, there's just a real negative energy, uh, you know, around the program as, as a whole, because, you know, you have the Satterfield rumors coming out. It's a must-win game. You have your backup quarterback in, and the offense has just been sputtering all season. Then you go down 10-0, 10, and, and you have, you know, again, you got your backup quarterback in. And Brock had thrown three passes at that point, and they were, like, three of the worst passes that you're going to see a college <laughs> quarterback throw. Like, I mean, just be, being honest, like, you know, we know Brock. We've had him on the show. He's a good guy, and he had a good game. But he threw three really bad passes to start the game, and people were like, shit, we're about to get blown out. Like, the doors are going to get blown off. And I don't know if you remember, but they had this the, – the, the QB keeper schemed up on, like, fourth and what? Fourth and three, maybe like fourth and three. Yeah,
3: line.
0: and yeah. I don't know if you're, I don't know if, if you know about this, Tyler. And I guess that's my question is was that kind of something that you guys had practiced and you knew was going to be available for you? Because that, because I feel like that exact play was executed to perfection in Satterfield's first season. I don't know if I don't know if you ever saw this, but Evan ran the same play against Wake Forest, uh, his freshman year. Mm-hmm. not the same play but a very similar very close where similar close. Situation towards the end of the game where they're going to be selling out on the run and they had to have a first down and he took it to the house so similar type of situation did you guys know that 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 play was coming and and can you kind of talk about just how that kind of flipped the season on its head just a little bit
4: oh no that no i had no idea like i don't know if you could like everybody was kind of just looking like is that Brock running right now? Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> it was
3: just the inside zone, right, Tyler? Was, yeah, no. I remember, so he has the option to pull it.
4: Yeah, he has the option to pull it. But I remember vividly, he was telling me that week at practice, they was like, when they were watching film, they were telling him like to give it, like give it every time, unless they're absolutely tackling the running back. And Brock was like, I can run. Like, why would y'all? <laughs> Why would y'all say yeah, like not to pull it? Like so he so he got the chance to pull it and he showed everybody that he can run. I mean he ran 21 miles, 20, 20 miles an hour at 235 pounds, 230 pounds. So I mean that's a big
3: yeah. boy book. Like,
4: yeah, and he was <laughs> yeah. he was moving. So yeah, I'll I'll probably say yeah, that probably was a turning point for the season right there because that was a big play, needed it, and it surprised a lot of people. I feel like that play was
0: big, like for his career and, and for the, the team as a whole, because I mean, really, I mean, I think Evans probably the 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 backup coming into the season, then he's hurt. And mm. so it's you pretty much force, you know, Brock's hand, because I think it was already predetermined that uh that uh um I'm, i apologize was was Caleb Johnson. Caleb Johnson, Johnson, thank you, yeah. was gonna was gonna redshirt. Uh so pretty much it was Brock or nothing at that at that point. Um, and, and so I just feel like it was such a turning point because he just needed something good to happen. And once he just saw that you guys got in the end zone, then it was like it was just showtime at that point because I think you guys outscored them 34 to seven, the rest of the game, uh, next game, you know, you uh, go home and and beat Pittsburgh pretty solidly. Uh, and then, and then obviously everybody knows what happened against Wake Forest. So uh, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: in my, in my opinion, you know, I, I agree with you, Tyler, that like, I feel like that was a real turning point in the season, another turning point for your career. So we, we talked about, you had 26, touchdown catches right was it 26 or 28 at central central arkansas so right. like you, you were known as a scorer as central right. arkansas and you're putting up numbers you know you put up 102 67 53 101 71 77 like you had a ton of yards that you were putting up putting up a, a historic season you know as we said second receiver since harry douglas to go for over a thousand yards but you didn't score that coveted touchdown until against james madison what was that moment like and and Did it feel like at some point, like, was there a mental block? Like, it just, like, it just might not happen this season.
4: Yeah, I got to – I had got to a point where I was like, okay, I don't even care about scoring anymore, to be honest. Like, as long as I'm getting us down there, it's whatever. Because I know once – because once we got to, like, the 35 on the opposite side of the field, I knew we weren't going to throw the ball because that's, like, for a receiver in that offense, it was a dead zone that, this past season. Like, you you weren't getting the ball inside the 35. I don't know why it was like that. I don't – yeah, I, I still scratch my head to this day. There's why so much before. stuff you
3: could run from there. A little three-by-one dragon. that would have been awesome in that situation. We
4: tried dragging a few times, but – it's it's hard to run the same play over and over again and be successful when everybody knows <laughs> if Amari goes in the slot he's running the corner like, right
3: right
4: yeah I know that's why I was I was I was low key like frustrated because I was sitting there like in the spring we ran fade in the summer fall camp we ran fade and and it did, we didn't run a fade route I think too. oh a,
3: my god yeah that blew my mind
4: till That'd we. Be- Eleven week twelve when we played NC State, I was the first time they called it, and I was kind of like, "There's no way we call this at the end of the season, the <laughs> coldest game of the season." Like,
3: oh, geez, <laughs>
4: crazy, mind you. Spring and the in fall camp, every day y'all seen y'all seen a few on, they posted on Twitter like I'm catching over people that was consistently, and they weren't even showing the ones I caught it like one handed off of somebody's back or like you know like it was just kind of just it was amazing to me that season why we wouldn't throw a fade. So you,
3: so you were eating them up in red zone period off all camp on that. Yeah,
4: yeah no, it, it's, it was crazy how we didn't throw one till week 12, week 11 of the season, and I did what I did the whole offseason. So, yeah, I, I got to the point where I was like, it doesn't even matter if I score or not. But if, if we score, it's, it's cool, but if, I, I don't care if I score or not. As long as we get down there and actually put up points, because we weren't putting up points like uh, – I forgot who one of y'all said it, but y'all were saying like – oh, no, it was you. No, no, it was Presley. Um, He was saying like, you know – Uh, offense was kind of sputtering and couldn't really get any touchdowns or anything. Like, yeah. So that I got to the point where I just didn't even, it didn't bother me that I wasn't scoring as long as we tried to score, or get in the end zone, any type of way, run or pass, trick play, whatever. It didn't matter as long as we got down there. And if I had to get us down there, that's cool. That's fine. As long as we get in there and and, and score, (laughs) that's all that mattered to me.
1: Uh, just a quick follow-up before I ask my next question, but did you have a celebration planned? Because I know obviously in that moment you just dropped down and it was like, thank you, Jesus, touchdown finally. But did you have – was there something in the bag that, that you kind of kept tucked away?
4: Oh, no, that was a celebration. I told <laughs> I told Braden Smith, I said, I said, Braden, if I score, I'm going to draw to my knees and tell God thank you. And he said, you're not doing that on TV. I said, I swear I'm going to do that. All
1: right, let me ask you this. What was better, that or Isaac Sp- spike in that game which one did you think was the better celebration?
4: Uh, Isaac Spike's was definitely better. He played at he played at Louisville for 6 years and never scored a touchdown. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. This, I would have did way more than a spike. The spike probably <laughs> been the cherry on top to be honest.
2: <laughs> Would have done yeah. the Hingle McCringleberry. I would have <laughs> yeah, did, couple, I did everything. I probably would have jumped in the
4: stands. All that of that. Is going
1: 12 rows up. That ball is going up in the
4: stands.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tyler, uh, let me ask you about this. One of the big storylines or kind of the big talking points throughout this year was uh, Lance Taylor, right? So he comes mm-hmm. into Louisville. Scott Satterfield's been the de facto offensive coordinator the last couple of years. Um, it's very obvious that he's been the play caller. There's been a lot of controversy around that. Lance Taylor comes in no one really knows his impact overall for the start of the season. And then Matt asks the question, what was that Matt before Virginia, whenever it was that they hand duties off, Matt starts to dig in on, you know, what is your responsibilities? We still would never quite figured out what Lance Taylor's role was with. I I
2: can't tell you how many times I asked Satterfield. Okay. Like what, like what it it is like that scene offense space. What, what exactly do you do here in terms of <laughs> playing calling? So because we'll just, we can never figure it out. And in Satterfield's answer would change from week to week. Like, yeah, like, no, we're getting Lance involved in the play calls. And then after the Virginia game, he's like, Oh no, those are all mine. <laughs> so, so like what role as, I mean, you were the wide receiver. So you were, you would know what actual role did Lance Taylor have in the play calling?
4: Uh, uh I don't know. I actually have no idea. That's the crazy part. Because if you if you asked me, I would have thought that he brought out the empty set. You know how we went empty a yeah. few times. that put me yeah, in a spot. Yeah. Like I would have thought he did that because they never they because the players told me they never did that until uh until he got there and in the spring. But like he said, when he when he said that. You know, that was all me after Virginia. And I was sitting there like, if that wasn't if that wasn't Coach Taylor, then I don't know what I don't know what his offensive coordinator duties are. Then if that if he doesn't have any say in the play calling, I don't know. So,
1: yeah. It's a mystery that will forever available fans. We'll talk about it in 30, 40 years. <laughs> Lance Taylor who worked yeah. here. We don't I mean,
4: know what he did. You can, you can probably have to talk to both of them at different, at different times, I guess, and see what they say.
3: Let's go to, uh to bull prep, man. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious. We asked Yaya last week, uh, you know, Coach Sat leaves and decides to go to Cincinnati. You guys clearly playing Cincinnati in the bowl game. Uh, what Was there extra motivation in that behind that game? What was the game prep, bowl prep like, you know, following his departure? Uh, you know, what
4: what was it like in that situation? Uh, I remember waking up that morning, finding out that he left and that he, like, I guess Zoom called whoever was awake at the time. And we had a meeting that later that day about it. And I was kind of sitting there like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to play because we don't have a head coach. And I know the other coaches are going to leave with him. So then I remember they told me – because I ended up playing. So they ended up telling me – like the players ended up telling me like they had GAs and QCs like calling plays. And I was like, oh, okay. Mitch <laughs>
3: you know, and Zeb okay. out there calling plays.
4: They had uh, – who they had out there? I remember VJ was out there calling some plays. Um, step stayed right. Yeah, step. Yeah, step was calling some plays. I think step ended up being the offensive coordinator of that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, I think you know, so. Yeah, but no, I just, I just knew I didn't. I wasn't gonna play in that because I was risking getting hurt and right. all that stuff. And I
2: don't would you might have? Could you have played like if Satterfield said, or were you like opting out regardless?
4: Uh, I think I was. I think I was done. Yeah, yeah, I Fair can't much, blame yeah. you for that,
1: man. With all the, but let's talk about NFL draft prep and and what you've got going on now. Um, you know, obviously, comparison to where you were a year ago when scouts were saying, "Nah, man, undrafted." Um, what is the what's the feedback like now? Because you've got the numbers. You, you know, you put up uh, the route tree was probably the best we've seen since Des Fitzpatrick, right up there with him overall, with being able to do a little bit of everything, um, consistent. You know, steady forcing the offense. Malik goes down. You're ball. You know, you're balling out. Malik's in. You're balling out. Um, obviously, the numbers game. The rest of the receivers didn't even combine for the 69 catches you had. Uh, right. So everything's there. You everything you set to accomplish at Louisville was there. So what are they telling you now?
4: I mean, they just want to see what my 40 is. To be honest, <laughs> that's it.
1: That's like that's it with the receiver, man. It what, all comes that, back to the 40.
4: Day? I swear. <laughs> yeah. No. They there's they say that. I mean, I've done everything I could possibly do. and uh, like stat wise and production wise. Like you go look, I'm um, top twenty ever with yards. So I mean, there's nothing I need to do on the field. It's more of a how fat like how fast are you truly like, you know, be like gifted with. And I'm, you know, I've just been trying so hard to run, you know, at these uh, pre-draft exercises and workouts. And I'm just hoping, you know, they're telling me they think four, five, five. At the fastest and the but they're thinking more of the like four six area like uh what was who they're comparing me to uh, Rashad Higgins like he's really good on the football field but his you know his 40 times slow or remember Keenan Allen I always talking to the chargers they were talking about Keenan Allen is like their best receiver but he ran a four seven two and I remember trying to get to Louisville they were telling me you know uh Cooper Cup ran a four six so that's that's what they think I'm gonna run, and you know, hopefully, I prove them wrong. You know, I don't think I can run. I don't think I think I can run way faster than four six, but we'll see.
3: Yeah, I mean, personally, Tyler, if I'm the NFL GM, uh, I, I'd rather have a guy that just puts up stats and numbers and scores touchdowns, opposed to a guy that can just go out there like John John Ross and run a four three for me and look pretty. You know? Yeah, what, <laughs> you know like what
4: player do you know other than Tyreek Hill? Because that's only one that runs four. One four two, and it was just balling each year in and out every other game. He's going for crazy numbers, yeah, exactly. Or he's consistently N- going for numbers.
3: And in the NFL, it's a league where clearly, like, you're not going to get open 24/7 every yeah. play. Like, it's, yeah. it's just as much on the job of the quarterback to throw you open on some plays in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, having a guy like yourself who has such a crazy catch radius, I mean, that's, it seems like a no-brainer for me that you end up on an NFL roster.
4: Yeah, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if I went undrafted, like, not being cocky or anything, but, like, we were talking about football, not just the the 40. I should be, I'm one of the top receivers in the draft class. In- I don't know. Like, you go look at the players that get paid the most after our position, okay, other than Tyreek Hill, all the rest of them are some type of form of a route runner or just physical catching everything that comes their way.
2: So does it make you a little more confident knowing that yeah the touchdown numbers might not be there? Yeah, you don't run a four three, but your your specialty was like you know possession type catches, minimal drop rate. Like no matter, like, um, not a you, you compared yourself to Keenan Allen, but like a Larry Fitzgerald archetype where you know like you throw the ball in his area. And he's catching it. Does it, does that part at least make you a little bit more confident that scouts are going to look at that when they fire up the film, and be like, okay, we can probably take this guy.
4: Oh yeah, because Larry Fitzgerald is probably my favorite receiver I've ever like watched or ever wanted you know emulate. Because all right, he wasn't the fastest. I'm not the fastest, but he catches everything. He dropped, like they said. You know that one crazy stat where he had more tackles and drops. I had the same thing in college. Like I had more. I had more tackles and drops. So that's that's. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And, you know, just watching him and how great a career he had, I would be surprised if I didn't have the same, like not the same, but like, you know, similar type of opportunity to play, you know, football because I can catch the ball. And plus watching NFL football, you see a bunch of receivers drop the ball every week, every down. So it's kind of like there's no way I can't make it because I already do one thing that some receivers don't do and that's catch the football. So <laughs> damn right. The most important thing that's what yeah. receive that's where the ball <laughs> literally right. in the title of your job, Ca- a receiver right. <laughs> catch the ball, receive the ball
1: receiver. That uh, is left behind at Louisville. That's going to ball out one of your former, uh, you know, one of the guys that was in the room with you, who, who should Louisville fans watch? Who yep. is Tyler Hudson's wide receiver that you need to watch for in 2023?
4: Definitely CB Chris Bell e- easily. Yeah. Chris Bell is going to be, one heck of a player. You, if you just watch how gifted he is without even, you know, the coaching, you, you know he's going to be really special. So, build like a built like A.J. Brown, you know, about 230. But he doesn't look really like he's 230.
1: Dude's 18 <laughs> years old. He, yeah, I'm 29. years I, old. what I would do to look like that, man.
4: 230, 18 years old.
1: I said this stat a couple weeks ago with Chris Bell. I think, what was it, 4-1 and one when he had a catch last season for Louisville?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. A.J. Brown built 230. <laughs> 18 That's
1: years
4: unreal, old. man. Unreal. Unreal. I don't even I don't even know how they how kids get made like that.
3: <laughs> uh, Tyler, my, I got one last question for you. And, and it still involves NFL draft stuff. Uh how how do you how comfortable are you going up on the board and you know, drawing out those plays for NFL GMs and scouts and stuff like that and being able to, you know, talk your way through the offense and talk your way through uh how an NFL team uh, is gonna be able to utilize you.
4: I mean I, if you, cause they always ask you about like your Louisville play. So, I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty good at remembering the plays and stuff like that. And you, you saw me like I played inside and outside. So yeah, uh, I, I'm pretty confident. And, you know, even if I forget, you know, you can always just go back and look at the playbook. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it, man!
1: <laughs> All right, Tyler Hudson, ladies and gentlemen, preparing for the NFL draft. Tyler, thank you, sir, for for the one year of service in Louisville. It was in it was great to get to watch a thousand thousand yard receiver because, as I mentioned, two since 2007, it, it's been hard to find the last couple of years. So, uh, right on time, right at the end of Malik's Malik's career, coming in a thousand yard receiver. Uh, best of luck to you, my friend, and uh, you know we'll be we'll be rooting you on wherever the wind blows you here in the NFL.
4: Thank you.